We would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is produced, the Wajak Noongar people, and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast. Hi, Craig. How are you going? Good. Thanks, Courtney. Yourself? Yeah, good. Thank you. Um, Excellent. We have a very interesting guest on for this particular episode for everyone to listen to. His name is Andy Kazim. Yeah, Andy Kasim. Yeah, Yeah, Kasim. Excellent. Um, And his area is kind of uh, youth and homelessness and out-of-home care for, for people aged between 18 and, and 21, and yep. also for the younger people as well. Mm. Um, so we have a very, very uh, interesting conversation ahead. Do you have any other information that we want to add for Andy? Yeah, so Andy's got, had a career working as a youth worker yeah. in, in Perth, and he's done everything from street outreach to working in supported accommodation services. And as you'll hear from his com- uh, conversation with him, he's very passionate about helping kids who otherwise would probably have limited opportunities sort of um, support themselves mm. and further their education and further their employment opportunities and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, and so often, you know, there's, you oh, sorry, <laughs> often that these are, these are children who've come from uh, challenging upbringings, yeah. you know, environments, you know, where maybe the family situations have been unstable or, you know, they've had a bit of bad luck. That sort of thing. Mm. Yeah. So uh, Andy's main project at the moment is called Homestretch, and yep. he will explain all about that in the um, upcoming conversation that you will be able to hear. So yeah. enjoy, uh, and we'll speak to you soon. So that leads me to uh, the nice job of welcoming Andy Kazim to the podcast. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, thanks for coming down. Yeah. It's great. We're, I'm really excited about this one, actually, just because I've known of Homestretch, which you're involved with now for a little while, and I'm interested to hear a bit more detail about the, the program and yeah. whatnot. Um, Whereas but, I know absolutely nothing, so I am keen to learn. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm keen to share the knowledge Excellent. of what is yeah. something that you know, is, I'm really passionate about and is an important opportunity that um, we have as a community to support the lives of some of the most vulnerable people in our community. Mm-hmm. So Homestretch is about young people who have been taken into state care, um, who the current system provides support up until about 18. And so at 18 years of age, they're officially adults because we're all adults <laughs> at 18, aren't we? Um, yeah. We and know exactly what we're doing at you 18. You can drink, <laughs> drink, you can vote. That's you right. Can, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's what you need, Fully right? functioning. Yeah. yeah I mean, absolutely. <laughs> um, but we know the reality is um, young people stay at home. So 80% of young people stay at home till about 24, 25. They don't leave home. Yeah. Because that stability foundation, um, sense of belonging in place gives them the support they need to move on in their lives. Mm. Um, whereas the current system provides some discretionary support from 18 to 25, but there's not this real commitment to continuing that level of, you know, investment and safety and security and stability for young people up to 21. Mm -hmm. Um, And we think um, the answer to understanding how do we improve how this system works and give those supports to young people is to ask the experts. And obviously for us, the experts are the young people, in the, the people who live through this system, who are living mm. in this system. So Homestretch 
I guess, in a nutshell, is about trying to understand how to build a better system of support that provides young people the things they need up to the ages of 21 around housing, health, um, education, a reliable, consistent support in their life, a person that they're connected to, and a real focus on interconnecting them with the, the community and the life they want to build. Yeah. So although, you know, we know that 21 is potentially another arbitrary age, it is very much a more realistic um, opportunity for young people to launch themselves. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So just to, just to step back uh, to the beginning here, mm. do you just want to tell people a little bit about um, how people get involved in, mm. in out-of-home care, which is essentially what this is about, isn't it? Mm. So people who, who maybe don't have a, a safe place to live mm. or s- parents that are around or for whatever reason, um, and then what the, what the gaps in that system have been that you mm. guys are trying to address. Yeah, sure. So children and young people who are removed from families, um, from biological parents, because the risk of harm to them staying in that environment is greater than the impact of removing them from that. They're difficult decisions. Um, and the department um, understands, um, I guess, how to manage and protect children. And that's why it's called the Department of Child Protection. Okay. And so the systems of care that are created are often from that vision of how do we keep children safe and remove them from danger and risk. Yeah. Um, Interestingly, um, there's a, a researcher, Melissa O'Donnell, who yep. did telephone some... Telephone Kids. Telephone Kids. Yep. <laughs> so she did some um, kind of linked data analysis and looked at outcomes for children from really vulnerable families who were brought into state care. So that could mean a foster carer there um, linked to a family carer um, or, you know, unfortunately for some children and young people, group homes, and so where you have um, paid workers living with groups of children because there aren't any other options. Mm-hmm. Um, but Melissa's research unpacked a really uncomfortable truth that the outcomes for young people who weren't removed from vulnerable families are better than the outcomes for those who were removed. So by taking and mm-hmm. removing them from the care system, we assume we're doing good things and helping them, but actually the data that's emerging from our research is suggesting that maybe it's doing more harm. Okay. And was this, is this like health outcomes and education outcomes and that kind of thing? Yeah. So So, you look at uh, things like contact with the justice system. So the link data she's, she's drawn on is uh, connected to, you know, government held data. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So health, justice, education. So, you know, young people achieve, um, poor outcomes in terms of year 12 um, completion. You know, they're more likely to have children before the age of 18. Yep. Um, they're more likely to have those children taken into care. Okay. Um, it's a cycle that just keeps yeah. repeating. Yeah. Okay. So if you think about that that system of care, it's we're doing the best we can because it's a really complicated piece of work. And, we, you know, probably importantly, um, we need to acknowledge that we are working with predominantly Aboriginal families and young people. And so probably... Taking it back to, I want to acknowledge that we're on Wadjuk Noongar land yeah. and yep. pay my respects to those communities who we're trying to walk alongside and understand. I mean, the ultimate goal is self-determination for Aboriginal people so they can take um, ownership and look after their own families and children through their own systems. Yep. Um, but the system we have at the moment isn't working for young people. So the evidence that 
um, Melissa uncovered um, showed that it isn't working. Um, the Auditor General did some uh, work in 2018 to kind of understand uh, outcomes for care leavers and what was going on and equally identified some really critical problems in terms of young people becoming homeless in the first 12 months after leaving care at 18, uh, young people um, not being linked in with support. Mm -hmm. um, we we have a system that is built around creating plans for young people and young people leaving care. Um, but I think upwards of 70% of young people didn't have a leaving care plan at 18. Right. So they hadn't figured out what they needed for the rest of their lives to succeed by 18. Right. <laughs> Which, <laughs> Which is shocking, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, Who knew? I was just thinking it? about myself at 18. <laughs> oh, no way. Yeah. No way at Didn't have all. a plan for the next week, let no, alone I, the yeah. rest of my life. Yeah. yeah, I couldn't figure out what the next day was, to be honest. Well, just, I, st yeah. I still struggle, and I'm in my yeah. 40s. So. Yeah, I still don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. So we, we often design systems around what does the system need mm. to create to mitigate risk, to manage and help people. Like I have full respect. Every person I've worked with in child protection, they're doing amazing work and they're there for the right reasons. It's yep. not an easy job. Mm -hmm. But the system itself is not really functioning for young people at the moment. And okay. so that's the background to what is home stretch. What you're doing, yeah. Um, but we, we didn't come up with the idea of extending care to 21. This is yep. drawing on international work. So the UK, Canada, parts of the US... Um, mm -hmm have all unpacked and explored how to extend supports yep. up to 21. So we were building on some of that work. Interesting. So who, who are the key stakeholders, like the in broad brushstrokes, the major sort of players that uh, have an interest in this in this program policy? Uh, I think Aboriginal community. So certainly in the Perth metro area, the Noongar Family Safety Wellbeing Council. Mm -hmm. um, we've partnered with Yorganup, which is an Aboriginal community-controlled organisation that does foster care. So foster carers, um, community services mm -hmm. that provide support to foster carers. Um, the, there's a whole, uh, you know, suite of services within the Department of Child Protection that are interconnected and built around supporting young people. So you've got, you know, people working in policy, people working in, um, you know, frontline child protection roles. Um, you've got people in housing and health who are looking at this as a cohort. Mm -hmm. um, and then you've got, um, there's an existing service provision around uh, leaving care support. So, you know, there are some agencies, Wansley, Salvation Army, Mission Australia, who do, they call it leaving care um, support from 18 to 25. And so there's some good work that occurs in that space, um, but the system itself is not currently working. Um, yep. And unfortunately, that means a lot of support to young care leavers is picked up by the homelessness system. Right, okay. Yeah. So what is what exactly is not working in the system? Uh, <laughs> I think th there's an expectation that young people, as we've joked about, yeah. have the ability to manage independently at 18, so, to have so the ability to set like, a plan. So the gap, I guess, is hmm. we kind of just leave the 18-year-olds to be and then suddenly they go through the same cycles of, mm. of what they've experienced and all that kind of stuff. There's worse mm. health outcomes. And so this uh, project is to mm. fill that gap mm. of helping those 18-year-olds kind of have mm. some sort of goal in their life and things yeah. like that. Yeah, I think part of it is around investing in them both 
their housing stability so yep. they can stay on in a foster placement if that's what they want to do. Or we have some um, work around how to create a housing subsidy that invests okay. in more flexible living arrangements. Um, I think that's one of the key things is safety is instability in housing. Um, there are lots of young people who are still in year 12 who have to leave the foster care arrangement. Um, so how do you finish year 12 if you have to that find somewhere horrible. else to live? Yeah. Is that just an arbitrary, right, you're of the age now where we've, we've stopped yeah. and you have and to look, move on? Don't get me wrong, for some foster carers, well, obviously they love, they're, they're their children, they treat them as yeah. their own children, and there are some foster carers who just continue to um, have their family live with them, but mm. it's not supported and resourced. Okay. So that's one of the kind of lower hanging fruit right. we can address is, hey, you can just stay there until you're 21. And I guess like working. with the new age groups at school and stuff, there's actually a bunch of 18 year olds yeah. in year 12 now. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. Yeah. One of the young people we spoke to during the original co-design was um, talking about living in a group home and um, he had his 18th birthday party on the Saturday and then on the Monday they dropped him off at a, a crisis accommodation service. Wow, that seems pretty harsh, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. and he, he obviously couldn't continue his tape studies. So mm. for us, it's around what does that stability and safety give someone? And also mm. the, the mental feelings that you'd have yeah. if you've been supported and then it's like, right, 18, see you later. Yeah. Don't want to know yeah. you anymore. Oh. Yeah. It's actually quite amazing that we're, we're at still at that point mm. in today's society, given mm. the amount of help and resources and the amount of evidence that we have mm. at our disposal, that things like that can be really harmful. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. And particularly for young people who would have experienced more often than not complex trauma, yeah. You know, there's emerging evidence that suggests there's a really high proportion of young people uh, with developmental, general developmental delay or mm -hmm. some learning difficulties. Mm. So young people who might already need some extensions of supports, the expectations are that they're at, you know, the same level of their peers who are still staying home till 24. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So nah. that, that's the yeah. context. Um, if, if you ask me what the real core is, it's about connection though. So we yeah. often talk about this idea of independence. We're all going to be independent. I'm going to become... No one's independent. No. Right? No. You're the, independent by having friends and family that yeah. help you be independent. We're in interdependent, really. <laughs> oh, yeah. look, at he's, yeah. he's on it. I've been reading the notes. Oh, I nerd out to this, but um, <laughs> like it's, a, it's an old and important idea is actually well-being, connection, belonging. You know, who do you go to if you need to kick a footy with. Mm. Who do you go to if you need to, to borrow 20 bucks? Like, yeah. yeah. So one of the real things we have to do, and it's not just this discrete 18 to 21 piece, but mm. one of the things we need to do is really collect and understand who does this young person have in their networks? Who do they want to re reconnect with or return to? Who are the new opportunities? And how do we build this connection so that mm. they don't need child protection responses because mm. they're part of a community. So this idea of interdependence, it pulls it pulls them away from uh, a reliance on a, a specialist child protection mm. system. Yep. And like you and I, if we need health problems, we go to the GP, yep. not the emergency room. Yep. You know, well, I hope we all go to the GP. <laughs> you know. yeah. um, it, it's yeah. that idea of how do we create that. And, and I think some young people, we can do that with up to 21. Some might need more support up to 25. Mm -hmm. um, we're not saying this is the, the, the golden solution. What we are is disrupting the current system to lever a broader reform, mm. but with an intentionality around the kind of things we want young people to get support with as a key element up to 21. So yeah. it is, it's not rocket science. Okay. It is about trying to reshape a system. So it's, it's some very noble work and much needed work. And this, you know, <laughs> I feel noble. <laughs> 
there's there's a like a large a two two bigger group of people that are currently affected who obviously need a bit of yeah. extra assistance. Um, how are you guys going about it? Uh, so we started in 2018. We brought together uh, about 24 young people. Um, we did interviews with foster carers. So we're using a, a human-centred design methodology. Mm-hmm. So it's the idea of how do we elevate the voice of people who use systems into mm-hmm. shaping and, and describing how they should function. So we brought those people together with academics, people from government, and we ran a, a real kind of sprint co-design process that created the core principles of what this kind of extended support offer should be, built mm-hmm. from that, that um, group. And then um, the Minister for Child Protection, Minister Simone McGurk, who mm-hmm. um, really understands this kind of this need and this gap, um, has given us the opportunity to take that those ideas and undertake what we call a prototyping approach, which is where we take those core ideas, um, put them into a small-scale trial, um, working with a small number of young people, families, foster carers, embedded in the current system so as to not, you know, disrupt the whole system so that we can really understand what these principles look like in practice. Mm-hmm. So we're actually, we're live testing and developing um, the the real kind of nuts and bolts of how this support should work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the methodology is important because it gives us the opportunity to fail because mm-hmm. the outcome we're trying to achieve is to learn and to grow and to come up with the right um, so I, I'm not an academic researcher and most academics will probably understand participatory action research, yep. which has some equivalencies, but, um, we use this design methodology, which is cooler, um, has more visually engaging ways of, um, yeah. um, <laughs> entertaining and engaging service users, I think. It's pitched at the people that yeah. you're trying to get yeah. the yeah. information from, essentially. And it's kind of shiny at the moment in the, in the system, trendy. co-design. Yeah. It's trendy. Yeah. So it's trending. Yeah. Um, but it. <laughs> I mean, I, I really value it because it is this this shift away from we're the experts. Yep. You know what I mean? And my, my professional background, I've always worked with young people. I've, I'm a frontline worker. You know, that's yep. my background. I'm not a policy writer or an academic. Yep. And so it's always made sense to me that the person I'm with is the expert and I'm on the ride. Yep. And that's what we're trying to do. So we call it, you know, policy co-design. Mm-hmm. Um, tried to make some sense of what that is. And we've written some articles for the Parity Journal the, the homelessness journal. Oh, parody. So, yep. Yep. Yeah, hopefully there's some more um, ideas there. It's emerging as, as a way, and certainly mm-hmm. the Department of Communities. Um, so we embedded in the Fremantle District Office. Um, we've worked really closely with the policy and service design team um, who've been really great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have a, a steering group of people from the sector um, and academics as well to help support this constant cycle of you know, how do we extend a foster placement? Well, let's ask the young people what is important to extending that. What would need to be negotiated? Let's ask the foster carers. Let's yeah. come up with a model which we call staying on agreements. Mm-hmm. And let's test and refine that over the, the length of the trial. So okay. th- th- those kind of the key elements of the trial we've developed as we've gone and refined and revised. So the goal is to get to a point where we have the key elements that can be then suggested to the system to scale. You know, we're not going to okay. say, hey, this is how you do this because mm-hmm. we did it in Fremantle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what are the core things that then you might um, then adapt and kind of uh, develop in a, a kind of contextual and place-based way? It's probably the, yeah. the goal of the reform. And for WA, that's important because we have so many diverse regions, you know, mm-hmm. within our state. 
that mm. and obviously Department of Child Protection is mm. responsible for all of these regions regardless of mm. what the demographics are and mm. whatnot. Um, yeah, very interesting. Um, so just from a academic kind of nerd point of view, <laughs> how many people are in the trial and, and how often do you collect data, for want of a better word? Uh, okay, so we have uh, 35 young people. Yep. So it is a small-scale trial. Um, we have a couple of different data collection methods. One, we have an independent evaluation that Curtin University is doing. So Donna Chung and Linnell Watts are undertaking some of their longitudinal work um, mm -hmm. in parallel. Okay. Um, so they interview young people and carers and um, stakeholders as part of collecting yep. some data. That's but, qualitative, is it? A uh, mixture of qualitative. And then obviously we're doing some quantitative data mm -hmm. around um, not just outputs, you know, not just what, how many sessions or what sessions or how much time we're doing. Uh, but also we, we kind of co-designed a bit of an outcome measures tool that we okay. um, have young people kind of work with their um, transition coach, who's the main kind of key support for them in this program um, every quarter to uh, give us, you know, a mixture of self-assessment about how they're thinking about different domains of their life. Um, so, you know, questions like, do I feel safe and stable in my current housing, you know, rate income and some of that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but also we use the... Um, called transformative evaluation. I don't know if you've heard of that. Came, oh, comes out of most significant change. Essentially, mm -hmm. you ask a most significant change model, like what's the biggest impact Homestretch has had from you in this quarter? Um, and then the young person gives that story. But then we ask the worker to write, what is it you think Homestretch has done to create that? So you're getting some kind of... It's like the two different perspectives yeah. on the same idea. Yeah. 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 So that, that quantitative data as well as the... Okay. Um, it's, it's, I would say that we're collecting way too much data right now because... Uh, no mean, such thing. Yeah, no, no such thing. No, no, yeah. you, you're, you're married to a youth worker, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, youth workers don't want to collect lots of data. Um, it's it, like it, at, at a kind of trial evaluation level, it's important data. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, if you were to roll this out, no. Right. No, I, I couldn't. I couldn't ask youth workers to do what I'm currently asking youth workers to do. <laughs> is, no, it, is it because it's it's just too much like work for them, or is it like the privacy sensitivities? Or? I, I, I would say it's an onerous administrative task, yeah, okay. and particularly mm. you know if you look at you know it's about five pages in total the outcome oh. measure, and yeah. you you know I think. We also, they do narrative summaries of each of the life domains we're looking at. So it really is okay. a mm. deep So you're dive. asking for like an intense report on like yes. every quarter of that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. But if you think about that, that's really meaningful data for us oh, in terms of shaping a trial. Yeah. So I would love to get that data, but not collect yeah, it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's nice to analyse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so we provide that data to, to Curtin to have a look at. But um, yeah. I guess the other thing we are doing next month is, you know, we've been working in partnership with Yorganup, which I said was mm -hmm. the um, the Aboriginal um, community controlled mm -hmm. agency. Um, so 56% of young people in care are Aboriginal. Um, yep. Western Australia's only got one ACCO in this space. Victoria's right. got about eight. Um, so just, so for, just for the uninitiated, yeah, that's sorry. Aboriginal community controlled health organisation. Okay. Uh, yep. Yeah, not, not health, just ACCO. Sorry, yeah. community controlled organisation. Yeah. ACCO yeah. is the health yep. version of that. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, you guys are public health, so you yeah, think that's about right. Yeah. Always <laughs> um, yeah. Hi, we hope you're enjoying this episode of The Meaning of Health. Just a quick reminder that you can email us at meaningofhealth at outlook.com or tweet us at healthmeanswhat. 
And if you have a minute and you've enjoyed listening to this episode or any of the other episodes, it'd be great if you could go and rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. It helps other people find us. Now back to the show. So we, we've created a partnership with him and we, we stepped into that space where we wanted to kind of understand what this extended care looks like for Aboriginal families and Aboriginal family care. Mm. Um, and, and that would be different. Right. Yeah, look, there, there are some similarities, but yeah. I guess what we've learned and what we've really, really focused on is this idea of interdependence because who's really good at being connected and working as a community? Mm. It's Aboriginal people. So mm. we've got a lot to learn oh, and we have yeah. learned a lot from the how they do interdependence. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, we've been doing interviews with their foster carers and young people. We've actually got six of young people who are connected to Yorganup who are part of the trial and so we work collaboratively with Jorgen up. And it's yeah. this mutual capacity building as well because we're learning from them, but we're also trying to give them tools around co-design. Um, yeah. We ran a session at um, Danju Dublong recently with about 30 young people who are living in Danju Dublong, which is the St. Catherine's mm-hmm. um, kind of housing, um, student housing program for young Aboriginal people. Um, and that was a really incredible, inspiring session because yeah. you've got young people on you know, really good trajectories talking about what were the steps that got them to that mm-hmm. point? Because mm-hmm. there's so much we can learn from when it goes right. Yes. So all that information is also kind of being adapted into okay. how we create prototypes. That's, it sounds like an immense task. And so how many of you guys in your program are involved in, in kind of shaping everything and analysing everything? Uh, so there's myself, there's a, a coordinator, Vanessa, there are four transition coaches. We've got a human-centered design lead, and we've got their counterpart in Jorgen up. Mm-hmm. And then we just pull in all sorts of other people. Okay. Um, there's a there's a district um, in Fremantle. We have the team leader for the Leaving Care team, um, and her Leaving Care team are part of some of this work. I'm the district director, and um, you've got the service design and policy staff from the community. So. They're all kind of part They're of this journey. Involved, yeah. um, but, I mean, we do a lot of the, the grunt work because it is yeah. about okay, make sure young people's voices yep. leading it. Um, we also have a youth advisory group, which okay. Create mm. Foundation has helped us with. Um, so it's almost uh, – it's a group that keeps us on track. They have a yep. role in steering and governance. Um, Where are they from, the, the members of that group? So participants in the trial can be a member. They can come and join. Um, but we also have young people who are a bit older who left care – have been through that system. Okay. Um, so sense. you've got this mixture of people going through it and yeah. they don't have to identify themselves as going through it. But um, mm-hmm. we often will do some work um, to understand what it is they think should work or what ideas they have um, and then we'll take it back to them to test before we test it on real people. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like there's some kind of quality control yeah. going yeah. on. We're not just yeah. randomly coming up with ideas. This would be yeah. great. Let's test it in the wild. Like, yeah. we, we have some, some ethics. There's, there's a filter. Yeah. yeah. Just to make Probably sure. Probably a good thing, yeah. So your streams of consciousness gets filtered by a group who've been through yeah. the system themselves, mm. and then they say, that's going to work, that's probably not going to work, maybe yep. that'll be traumatic to leave that one out. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And mostly they just pay out on me, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the older statesman. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so where are you up to with this trial? Do you have some results or any ideas or expectations or... Um, look, look, yeah, like the, the early evidence is, is really positive around mm-hmm. young people, um, 
I got the early evalu- the early insights report from the evaluation this morning, so oh, cool. I haven't read it yet. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's really really encouraging in the sense that it's working for young people. They they think there's a difference, and it's a really important difference from mm-hmm. the previous experiences of support. Yep. So, um, you know, we've got really good outcomes in terms of these staying on agreements. Mm. Um, so young people are staying on in these placements and being supported to do that. Um, yeah. I think some of the learnings around um, how do we use brokerage really well. Mm-hmm. So each young person in the trial has up to $7,000 a year available okay. for the youth worker to invest in them. Okay. Um, so around education, health and other costs, mm-hmm. um, but without building dependence. So there's good data to suggest that our commitment to having young people chip in and contribute in some way to costs is working as well. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, I think the reality, though, is that you can't measure the impact on young people's no. lives in the short term. No. Like, um, so you know, maybe five, six years, they'll go, "Oh, gee, that was that was good that I could do that because mm. that means I can do this now." Yeah, um, and yeah so, it's only in like the future that you'll see the break of the cycle as well. Yeah, so. yeah. Some and some of the work that people like Melissa O'Donnell do mm. is probably going to be ultimately where this gets measured. You know, yeah. in, the, in the ten years' time or yeah. whatever, when we can look at all the mm. government-held yeah. records and see how people have done. You know, how many finished school, yeah. how many are yeah. employed it. and not in prison, and yeah. these sorts of things. Yeah. yeah. So we've we've tried to partner this uh, evaluation with the project called Navigating Through Life, which is a longitudinal study being undertaken by Curtin mm-hmm. that looks at you know over a five-year period what happens okay. to young people, and so they can flag if they're in home stretch or not. Yeah. Um, you guys should get Melissa on here to talk about data linkage. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I nerd a bit out to data because it's yeah. kind of cool, but yeah. the stuff that you can really understand from this linked data um, to evaluate programs like this, where we then don't have to ha- ask youth workers to, yeah. you know. Yeah. You're yeah. talking to two people that use data linkage. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, we lo- yeah, I love yeah. it. I know that I love it and it's just, it's... There's so much there's, interesting there's stuff. There's a lot of good yeah. stuff, like, like origin, the Origins Project and yeah. Developmental Pathways Project, which yeah. I think is maybe what Melissa was involved in yeah. Yeah. previously. Yeah, really fascinating stuff. Yeah. It just The thing is it can't give you all the answers no. because there's context and mm. individual experiences behind those, mm. those data, but it does help give you a mm. broad brush kind of idea of what's happening, and that's mm. how your project got conceived is mm. that you saw that people yeah. who got taken away from their parents or mm. out-of-home care did worse than people who mm. weren't in that system. And I think it's great that you can, like, connect these, I guess, small trials mm. and those ideas to data that already exists as mm. well. So, like, you can get mm. those, like, extra outcomes mm. to support what you're yeah. trying to achieve. Yeah, yeah it's great. Definitely. Well, and then then you can – because home stretch might work now, but in 10, 15 years' time, uh, and this is the thing, this is why I value – co-design is that actually you need this ongoing dialogue. You mm. can't just go, right, now we mm. design this thing. Hooray. It's now yeah. going to work for the next 100 years. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> I, I mean, iPhones don't do that, do they? Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, mm. What works needs to be an ongoing process mm. and dialogue. And I think what I think one of the big successes of the trial is there's this connection with Department of Communities mm. um, mm-hmm. that they feel like this is a way they might be able to do policy in the future. Yeah. So it's an example of how you might approach um, collaborating with the system, with the young people, with the sector mm-hmm. to solve these really wicked problems. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, we're not the be-all, end-all solution. As I said, we're a disruptive <laughs> lever for reform. So, mm-hmm. I mean, who knows? The government, the Labor Party committed in January that they would scale up home stretch. Um, so investing $38 million to offer that across the system. Mm-hmm. Um, 
As, as a standard sort of procedure? As an offer to all young people. To all young people, yeah. okay. Cool. So initially yeah. it was for 200 places um, a year, and so there's about 200 young people who leave care. Mm-hmm. Um, but we know, like, it, it's an opt-in, opt-out thing, and people can choose to be part of this or not, you mm-hmm. know. You know, young people probably need to have choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they're adults. You know? Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. So a couple of um, terms that have come up, uh, one, co-design, which you've mentioned, mm. which I will get you to expand upon, and also co-location was, I think I might have read it in some of your literature. Do you uh, want to yep. just tell us a bit more about those two concepts? Now, I'll define what I think co-design in yeah. is. Um, I think it's about bringing together people who understand the problem from dis- different perspectives to agree on some common truths okay. and to initiate a direction you all want to head in. Mm. I feel like that's what co-design means for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about making power. Everyone, everyone's power is the same, you know, yeah. the, the mighty academic voice should be the same as the experience of the service user. You know, yeah. the politician should be part of this. So it's yeah. that kind of, um, leveling of the, the okay. decision. Everyone gets an equal say yeah. and gets, yeah. gets listened to an equal amount sort of That's thing. That's right. And yeah. you all, okay. degre- you all yeah. agree together what the aims are yeah. and things like that. And, and sometimes the point of co-design is to bring people together to commit to that. So yeah. mm-hmm. um, sometimes it's not as important what the product is, is that mutual commitment. We also talk about these aha moments, you know, like, because mm. when you're doing all this, like, um, you know, real deep diving into what's going on for, for people who are using systems and empathising with that, people's lights will start to go off and mm-hmm. they'll go, oh, that, I understand that, that makes sense, or I understand mm-hmm. that perspective. Mm-hmm. And that's almost probably more an important outcome than the little, you know, neat little report you get that's got all the shiny <laughs> graphics mm-hmm. on it. I mean, yeah. that's cool too. Yes. Mm-hmm. Co-design has to be interesting for people to engage with it. But, yeah. Um, co-location is about, um, you kind of, I don't, I don't know if this is a robust theory, but... Um, um, you know, what, what we have like how many thoughts a day and the thoughts are the same every day and often we're just kind of mirroring thoughts of the people in our context. Mm-hmm. Right? And so the idea that if you are sitting people together and um, they're sharing ideas in a more organic way, so um, that's actually going to influence how they behave and what they do more than, you know, if you're sending them a policy or a practice. So what we've done in terms of co-location is embedding our um, transition coaches into the Department of Child Protection District office, mm-hmm. um, you know, on a regular cycle, just so there's that, those organic relationships. Because it's easy to go, oh, hey, you know that young person <laughs> we're trying to get on board? I saw them yesterday. And mm-hmm. it creates that that space for real um, communication. You're almost um, planting like moles in departments to get voices heard so then everyone's on the same page. That's the way that I'm seeing it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, consen- consensually. Yes, yeah. of course. Consensually, of course. with a full understanding. Not secret. Of, yeah. <laughs> but but like that, that's how change, I think, for me comes is, you, yeah. you know, all those people who've had those aha moments go and share those aha moments with other people. And, and people yeah. agree Aha, with them, we all figured out what it is we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. yeah. Is that yeah. a theory? I don't know. Bit by bit. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds That's good. That's my opinion. Sounds good. <laughs> now, the other thing that you mentioned was the coaches, which uh, I think yep. is an interesting innovation because I don't believe that's something that happened in child protection from the start. Oh, look, a, a persistent, consistent, reliable person who induces hope and provides um, a non-judgmental, safe space for a young person. Mm-hmm. That's not new. Yeah, we've done that for thousands yeah. of years, haven't we? <laughs> um, I think... 
the language of coach is important because we often talk about case manage mm. case management and there's a real power imbalance there isn't there if mm. you're a case that's being managed um, yeah they're, so, they're the boss I'm the one yeah. taking orders sort of thing yeah, yeah. so we've tried to come, yeah. we, we came up with the language I mean I'm not a big fan of transition coach it sounds I don't know it's very new context, age. It sounds yeah. a bit strange. Yeah, like a bit new age. I can be your transition coach. Yeah. No. What are you transitioning to? Yeah. That could go many different ways. Exactly. Trans- <laughs> transition is the next term. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it seems yeah. to resonate with, with young people in the sense it reduces that power imbalance. You know, yeah. most of the time they just call them, hey, you're Ben, you're my worker, or we work together. Yeah. It's Ben, it's not my coach. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it is about that. The quality of that relationship is key. And that, oh, look, that's not new. That's not rocket science. And youth work's been doing that for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always been championing that idea of a relationship that's empowering for young people. Yeah. So it's hard for a child protection system to do that because, you know, we emphasize that actually there's a real responsibility in keeping community safe, isn't there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for them to and lots of there's lots of great workers in there mm-hmm. who do do it really well. Mm-hmm. But as a system response, we kind of young people felt it was better to be occurring outside of the system. Okay. And so a transition coach is that person who walks alongside. They're one point contact. You know, mm-hmm. do they need help um, to you know enrol in a TAFE course? Do they are they feeling suicidal and need to talk about it with someone to link in with some other supports? Yeah. Do they um, you know want to reconnect with a family a biological family member? So it's that mm-hmm. kind of trusted person. Mm-hmm who may not hold all the answers but can connect that young person with others. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what they do, and they're the main experience for young people. That's um, a traditional kind of youth worker, service hmm. broker type hmm. role, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, so, which hasn't always been a feature of Department of Child Protection. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think I think in some ways there are people who do it, um, yeah. but I think, yeah, the system... I'm, I'm, this is one of those where I, I don't want to say that. Yeah, no, <laughs> I don't want to cut this bear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I know, I know. I get, yeah. I get your. Gist. Craig's poking the bear here. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's it's difficult because you know I, I I genuinely believe um there are barriers to collaboration with the child protection system mm-hmm. um that are built around perceptions of each other. Okay. So the not for profit sector perceives the child protection mm-hmm. system as inflexible. Um, all about statutory concerns and, mm-hmm. you know, not able to trust the tr- the non-profit system to do work. And mm-hmm. then you've got the child protection system mm-hmm. who perceives the not-for-profit system is um, not responsive to complexity and not kind of wanting to collaborate, more concerned about contracts. And so you get this mm-hmm. us and them separation, yeah. which is... But in reality, they all have the same goal. Yeah, like the yeah. people in, like me who really <laughs> care about young people. Yeah. Why else would you go into child protection? Like if you're yeah. in it for the bucks, good yeah. luck. If you're in it for, you know, you want to fill in lots of paperwork. Like, <laughs> it's People genuinely yeah. want to make lives better. They're the yeah. same people. Yeah. Um, They've got the same training most of the time yeah, as well. Social work trained or, yeah, um, yeah. yeah I, I think that's an important thing we co-design should try and help with mm. is let's come together and agree that actually we're all about these people and yep. we wouldn't be here otherwise. Break those perceptions. Yeah. yeah. So bigger picture, what what is in your view and your hope, I guess, hmm. your aspiration, where does this go from here, Homestretch? Oh, um, personally, um, I think this is a significant opportunity for us to invest in the capacity of Aboriginal communities to to enter this space. We only have one ACO doing out-of-home care stuff. So 
in terms of providing supports to young Aboriginal people and communities. It's a wonderful opportunity to mm -hmm. do something proactive to build that. Um, I would hope that all young people have the option to stay on mm -hmm. foster carers to 21. I would hope that all young people have the option to engage in this really intensive, enhanced offer of support, um, but it's their choice and they opt in and opt out of that. Um, my other hope is that what we do in Fremantle and Rockingham and with Jorgen Up creates this kind of, you know, these key principles, these key ideas and maybe some tools mm -hmm. um, and some support to then contextualise this in other areas. So, you know, do a bit of a co-design in uh, Geraldton to understand what does it look like for this community to mm -hmm. offer this to young people and mm -hmm. what does it look like in, you know, um, the Pilbara region. Like it's mm -hmm. not going to be the same, but for me there's some core things that need to be offered to young people that do need to be the same. So the fidelity and integrity of that offer is my greatest hope yep. <laughs> um, as long as it makes sense and it's provided by the people who make sense to that community. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, interesting. Well, mm -hmm. Hopefully the work you're doing kind of leads to that happening. You know, I know it's not going to be a quick overnight thing, but, no. you know, it sounds like there's been a bit of an early win in the, mm. the fact that they're agreeing to fund it to the tune of $38 mm. million. Mm. That's a good start, isn't mm. it? Mm. Yeah, yeah. I'm very, very hopeful that this is going to bring about some change. Yeah. young people and, you know, potentially for generations of young people. Yeah, okay. So um, it's probably the biggest investment that has been offered in this space ever. Yep. Um, so, yeah. Mm. So how did you actually get involved in this project? Did you start it or were you asked no, to? I stand, on the, I stand on the shoulders of giants in some ways. <laughs> um, so my role Anglicare here is I work for Anglicare WA. I'm the youth practice consultant is my okay. substantive role. So I kind of yeah. have a role around practice and strategy and developing new programs. And um, Anglicare WA had brought about the campaign in Western Australia. And so I joined that campaign committee to provide input and guidance. Mm -hmm. And the campaign committee is lots of people from the sector and, and um, uh, research wanting this to happen, like an, a reform of the system. Um, and we spoke with the minister, with the department, um, how do we come together and decide what this should look like. Mm -hmm. um, so it was that campaign committee that essentially created the opportunity to test and trial it. And then um, I guess that's how I got involved from Anglicare to okay. lead that work. Um, I'd worked on projects like Headspace Pilbara, which was another kind of co-designed implementation. It's involved in Foyer Oxford. Um, yeah. so I've got, and some other projects where I've kind of, I think I fit in this, um, world of taking ideas and trying to implement them into things. Yeah. So I'm kind of the, you know, if you think about that, that spectrum of innovation, early adopter, late adopter, yeah. I get to about the late adopter stage and that's where my, mm -hmm. my role, I think, in systems yeah. fit. Okay. I, I'm not a big fan of the long-term management and operationalizing of things. You like so. getting things happening. Yeah. yeah. Create, create that structure and yeah. then... Others can continue. Others can go on with the management. Mm -hmm. We've done this a bit back to front because normally we would get you to yeah. introduce yourself and <laughs> oh, tell I'll people about I'm your background and whatever. <laughs> but, but yeah, so essentially you're, you're a youth worker, a youth worker and you've been working in the sector for how long? Oh, uh, what is it, 20, 20, 17, 18 years? Yeah, okay. Um, and, and outreach or... Uh, I started out doing street-based outreach. Yeah. Um, if, if you've been in the job for 18 years, I've just got to let you be an adult now. So, uh, 
Sorry. <laughs> Terrible joke. I'm just trying to make a connection between your job and the adult. I've and the reached the decision. age of independence. Yeah, look, that's right. I, I still don't Go make off my on yourself. Yeah. People just tell me what I should do next as the next project, so I haven't reached yeah. independence yet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I've been really fortunate along my career to work with some really inspiring people. Yeah. So, you know, I, I yeah. got pulled into the, uh, I guess my first um, non-practice kind of frontline work was to do with FOIA, so trying to shape and develop how that program worked. Do, do you just want to give a quick description of what FOIA Sorry. is? Sorry. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. so, so FOIA Oxford is a large-scale youth homelessness service that um, provides young people with um, independent living support, but with a, a real kind of investment and expectation around um, their working or studying. So it is more of an education employment support program mm -hmm. for young people coming out of um, homelessness that gives them a safe and stable, good quality housing to do that work. And so young people can live in this um, really nice apartment for up to two years, sometimes a bit longer, mm -hmm. um, to get enough work and study under their belt to then actually become able to sustain their own housing. Because the only way to sustain housing is to have your own income, really, yeah. especially in this modern era. Yep. So we did a small-scale pilot and then transferred that to the large-scale facility in Leaderville. Um, so that was my first kind of um, contact with kind of designing and developing services. They're about to have a birthday, Oxford, aren't they? Uh, yes. Oxford, four Seventh, Oxford. Seventh, seventh birthday, yeah. birthday on Friday. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Seven years, that's, that has gone pretty quick. I remember when that was um, first happening, I, mm. I was working at a youth crisis accommodation mm. up in the northern suburbs for a, a mm. short while. And that was just being launched at the time, mm -hmm. I remember. Yeah. So that's... Yeah. Yeah. And it's had, it's had a really positive impact. I mean, it hasn't ended homelessness and there's still lots of work to be done, um, but it really has created a pathway out of homelessness for a lot of young people. So yeah. the outcome's really good. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So before that, I, like, I was doing AOD kind of counselling. I worked at uh, um, Days, which is kind of a... Drug and alcohol use service. Yep. Yep. Uh, so I set up the outreach role in that program and did some counselling and detention and worked in the detox unit. Okay. So I've always been really in, interested and invested in young people who, you know, we 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 describe them as hard to engage. Like mm -hmm. they're the young people that I'm most interested in. And you think about the child protection system; it's those young people who've been disconnected and disengaged. Mm -hmm. So I've always had this real passion to try and find ways to give them the opportunities, the safety, and the trusted relationship they need to yeah. reconnect and yeah. with themselves and the future. So that, that's always been my passion, which is why this has been mm. a real privilege for me to be part of. You know, I'm as I said, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. Like I have, I call up, you know, Melissa O'Donnell and Philip Mendez and other researchers and like I feel like I have this massive um, resource available to me because people mm -hmm. are really invested in this sort of change. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's been really a real, real privilege. So Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And so what, what does the future hold for you? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> As I said, I, I tend to tend to be guided by uh, where, where what's needed, and, and like I have people I trust, you know, in I work alongside who often present ideas or opportunities for me. Mm -hmm. um, I guess it's always going to be tied to um, making better systems and services for young people and having their voice shaping that. So wherever that is. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't know. Of course, I've got three children and a wonderful <laughs> wife. So, you know, at some point, I um like nice to spend some time with them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, very good. 
Well, it's been a great chat, Andy. Uh, yeah. Thanks very much for coming on and sharing your, some some of your experience with mm. us. Um, and yeah, we we wish you well for the next steps and hopefully uh, home stretch. Mm. You know, c- carries on mm. on the same trajectory. Yeah, and awesome. you've got some uh, concrete results for the project. It'd be cool to. See yeah. what they are and yeah, we, yeah, we'll the evaluations and things. Maybe get a couple of you on to yeah. discuss yeah, what you've found. Yeah, good to have a young person on as well. Yeah, yeah no, yeah, it would awesome. be great. Yeah, some that of the youth advisory awesome. group would be we've, keen to. Yeah, yeah, that'd be we, so cool. We've had some really good episodes where from with the hundred families yeah. project where we've had um, consumers on. Um, yeah. You know, talking about their experience and whatnot, so it's yeah. just been really good. Yeah, and awesome. we're also planning a bit of a public policy event in end of April, trying to have a look at the whole system. So. Might be worth talking to um, Stefan Lund yep. about it as okay. well because yeah, it we'll might be a way base. to broaden the scope of that conversation through your podcast. Yeah, yeah. No, fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'd be happy to consider that, definitely. Yeah, right. definitely. Thanks. Thanks, Andy. Thank you. No worries. So that was our conversation with Andy Kasim. And you can really feel the passion. It's just, he knows his stuff. He knows what he's talking about. Um, and it's just there's so much uh, love and, and passion to help kids in these problems. Oh, it was such a great conversation. Yeah, it's heartening to hear that that sort of work is being done. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there are some, like, negative emotions to some of the areas that he was talking about, particularly, like, you know, the government responses and all that kind of stuff. But it's really important, I think, that we do hear those voices and see how passionate they are about helping mm. our younger generation because, you know, they're the ones that are going to keep us going, basically. Yeah, and I think someone like Andy's well-suited to doing this type yeah. of work because he's got a very positive attitude and, you know, in the conversation there, there was points where he could have been very, very critical of government departments Absolutely. and whatnot and he's not into that. He's about trying to make things better, At full you support. know, with everybody pulling in the same direction. So I think that's really encouraging. Yeah, and I, I'm very interested to see what the actual final results of this this trial is because uh, yeah. I think it will be very interesting and there could be some groundbreaking work in there, I think. Yeah, and it's encouraging that there's such a large amount of funding being um, pledged oh, to yeah. keep it going. So Absolutely. 38 million in the first instance and obviously... I think you know, a lot of researchers want that for their projects. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, hopefully that does provide opportunities for young people to take advantage of um, a bit of extra support and yeah. and hopefully that makes a difference to their education outcomes, their employment outcomes, their life outcomes, well you know. Well-being and yeah. everything. And, and keeps them out of some of the troubled institutions. That, where they don't need to be. Yeah, where yeah. they don't need to be, you know, and where society doesn't need them to be. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it was yeah. a really great conversation. I hope um, everyone else enjoyed it as well. Now, Craig, normally you ask me, but where yeah. can our audience find us? <laughs> so via email, you can contact us at meaningofhealth@outlook.com, And on Twitter, you can tweet us at health means what. Yeah. So please yeah. do. Uh, if you've got any ideas for people that you want on, uh, message us, email us, contact us in any form of uh, method you have. Uh, yeah. yeah. Or if you just want to send feedback or anything like that. Yeah. Like, Let's have a conversation. Definitely. Cool. <laughs> and we, we actually do have some cracking episodes coming up. We do. With, with yes. prominent members of the of the community. We are. We are uh, very busy over the next yeah. two weeks. We've got many uh, <laughs> conversations uh, uh, booked in. Yeah. And and all going to be really good. Yeah. Um, so 
Yeah, and if you like this episode, you might like the previous episode we did with Margaret Doherty mm, mm-hmm. from Mental Health Matters um, and the 100 Families episodes, which, which deal with um, people from vulnerable backgrounds as well. Yeah. Yeah, so anyway, thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks. And we'll speak to you soon. The Meaning of Health podcast is produced with the support of the School of Population and Global Health and the Education Enhancement Unit at the University of Western Australia. The podcast is produced by Craig Cumming and Courtney Webber with music by Craig Cumming. Mm-hmm.